you make money three different ways. One is in real estate. Another one is in shares uh, or, or listed companies or mutual funds, all that kind of like same bag. Uh, and the other is having your own business. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, hello and welcome to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 86. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. If you're new to the show or whether you've been listening for a while, we appreciate you tuning into the podcast. If you enjoy it, we'd appreciate if you leave the review on iTunes. It helps us gain new listeners and reach new millionaire interviewees. Last week on the show, we had Jerry. Jerry and his wife are both teachers and have a current net worth of $1.2 million. He has the majority of his net worth invested in VTSAX, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, and lives in a house worth about 70000 Jerry was very open about his story and path to financial success, so a great interview with him if you haven't heard that yet. That's episode number 85. Before we get into today's show, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Equity Multiple, for supporting the podcast. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects accredited investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally managed commercial real estate and create a stronger and more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll jump on a quick call with you to discuss our current opportunities and and strategy. We partner with a couple groups that have a large track record of success and high returns, and we have uh, opportunities available for both accredited and non-accredited investors in different locations throughout the country. If you'd like to be on the show as a millionaire interviewee or one close to reaching millionaire status, feel free to reach out to us or email again, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We think that everybody has something unique to add and kind of a unique story and allocation and there's something that we can all learn from each interview. On today's episode, we have Pete. Pete lives in Australia and started his career in teaching. He's now a financial and planners and enjoys the work he does. He has a net worth of over $5 million and shares his story as well as advice and the mistakes made. So without any further introduction, let's get right into the interview with Pete. Pete, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Well, first of all, guys, thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, And I'm coming to you from the other side of the world uh, about a day ahead of you. So uh, I guess I'll be able to listen back on this tomorrow and uh, hear what I've had to say. Probably be embarrassed as well, too. Um, but, uh, you know, look, I've, I've uh, been on a journey of financial independence since I was like 25 years old. I'm, uh, I'm not yet 50, but uh, certainly have achieved that financial independence. And uh, I'm continuing to work at the moment simply because I love it, simply because I'm adding value to other people. And, uh, you know, ultimately, as my core value, that's uh, evidence that I'm making a, uh, the, the world a better place. I actually used to be a teacher. Before that, I was a, uh, a competitive swimmer. Because I really got into 
teaching and that, and and then also wanted to run my own destiny, uh, I, I then uh, evolved into financial planning. Uh, so back in 2004, uh, I set up my own financial planning business, uh, which I have now. Uh, and we have uh, working with some accountants, an office in Melbourne, an office in Sydney, and uh, I'm coming from Cairns. I'm I'm uh, up here, you know, nine months of a year at the moment uh, because the weather's nicer, kind of like your Florida when it's uh, winter time in, uh, in in New York. That's awesome. So that's me, and that's you. <laughs> awesome, and you and you let us know that that you've got a net worth multi millions, just north of five. How is that broken up? Uh, yeah, yeah, look, really interesting question because early on in the piece, I found uh, a, a great advisor that said, you make money three different ways. One is in real estate. Another one is in shares uh, or, or listed companies or mutual funds, all that kind of like same bag. Uh, and the other is having your own business. So my net wealth would be split across those three asset classes. And moving to Cairns, which we did four years ago, we actually turned our our home in Sydney into an investment property. So that kind of like has skewed the asset allocation more heavy to heavy to property at the moment. We'll probably downsize or, or sell that and, and, and move somewhere else later on uh, when we decide to put up our heels. But yeah, at the moment, it's it's those three asset classes: property, shares, and our own business. And is the the property is that paid for? Or do you carry a mortgage on on it or any of them? Hey, no way. Debt free is the best place to be. So, you know, that's, that's a uh, completely debt free. Uh, our, our goal is always in this, in this low interest rate environment is to not owe anyone anything because then you've got greater choice. You, you can choose your destiny and path, uh, with more clarity, uh, and you don't get tied up with, uh, you know, emotional decisions, uh, with, with, you know, that fog or hanger, um, you know that cloudy mind with with having debt over your head. And how long have they been? How long have those properties been paid off, or did you pay cash for them initially? No, no, uh, we've we've had some really good growth. Uh, you know, a lot like probably your, your your cousins north of you in Canada and that they've they've had incredible growth in their property. Uh, so so we bought ours in the with with a mortgage, probably in the low mill in in, in Sydney. Uh, it's you know grown exponentially. It's it's at least triple, if not quadrupled in, in, in value. So starting off with a borrowing, but a low value when we purchased it, uh, we've just channeled all of our funds and, and, and what we could do to pay off that mortgage. Uh, at the same time, uh, the asset has appreciated substantially. So just to let our listeners know here, we're talking about real estate, about 60% of your net worth or over half of your net worth is in investment properties. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And and uh, before we lived in our home, it probably would have been about thirty percent. But because we've turned, we've moved to Cairns um, for, for a bit of a lifestyle and, and a business opportunity as well too. Uh, we turned our home into an investment property, so that's why it's skewed so heavily towards property. It's not a conscious decision; it was just a an opportunistic. Just kind of kind of happened, yeah. So you live in, in Cairns, which is northeast Australia, for about nine months of the year, and then you, you go to Sydney for the other three. Do you have a second house there? Uh, we've got family there as well too. So I'll stay with family. Uh, we'll visit the property as well too. Uh, we've got friends there. so and, and we've got some family in Melbourne as well too that we'll stay with. Uh, oh, that's right. You said you, you said you had the house there. So that house you don't live in at all. You just rent it out completely now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's through Airbnb or another site similar to that? 
No, no, no. Uh, we're, we're a bit old school. We just use traditional real estate agent, you know, oh, nice. running your own business and portfolio and that. It's, uh, we don't, we don't need to help. Oh, just a. Yeah, just a real I got you. Okay, not a vacation rental, just a, a regular rental. Yeah, 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 yeah. Life is too busy. Yeah, or, you know, we enjoy doing other things more than managing that. Right. So. <laughs> right. So let me let's just back up a little bit here. You kind of mentioned that your story begins at at twenty five. What happened at age twenty five? How'd this all get going? I was a very okay. So I was a very good swimmer. Uh, my parents really encouraged me and I enjoyed what I did. And I actually got to a stage where I was, you know, um, top in Australia for, for, um, my event. Uh, and, and I was staring down going to the Olympics and all this kind of stuff and then university and all this kind of stuff. And, I, and anyway, it kind of went sideways. Uh, and, uh, my parents spent a lot of money at my schooling as well, too. I went to a really nice, expensive school, uh, almost like, $40,000 a year that they were paying for. So, uh, and they're not wealthy people. So anyway, jump forward probably six, seven years. Um, I didn't have a cent to my name. My, all my mates were my mate and my friends. Uh, sorry, we call mates friends in Australia here. Um, being in the school that I was in, they, they had old family money and all this kind of stuff. I was very low on the rung, but very good at sports. And so still a part of that network. Um, but I felt really inadequate. So and 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 really low as well too. And I thought, you know, I kind of had a quarter century crisis. I was went, well, hang on, I've been given so many opportunities, and for the, and I've done nothing for the last seven years. And it was I was really down on myself. So I was saying, well, you know what? How do I how do I work myself out of this situation? And, and I'd done a bit of travelling as well too. And I I really just drilled into it. This is like pre fire and all this kind of stuff. All these acronyms that you guys have got is that my ideal life was a thousand bucks a week, uh, free cash flow that I could spend six months in Thailand and six months in Australia. Uh, I'd be eating pad thai, drinking tiger beer, and and then I'd go skiing somewhere. I'd go skiing in Canada or Europe and, and so forth. So that was that was my ideal life. And and then I worked backwards with that. Okay, so if I got half, if I need fifty thousand a year, how much do I need to earn? Uh, well, I need to, sorry, I need to have in the bank. I said, well, okay, I'll just use a five, uh, multiply by 20. This is all back of the envelope stuff. Okay. So I need a million bucks. I went, okay. Well, how much do I need to save then? Or how much can I save? And how long is it going to take? And what kind of return do I think I'll get? Uh, and I just, I actually had a legal pad and I just had, you know, okay, I can save. I actually drilled it down a bit and I said, okay, I can comfortably save a thousand bucks a month. That's twelve thousand a year. I'm going to get a ten percent return, so that's one thousand two hundred plus my twelve thousand equals thirteen thousand two hundred. Okay, and the next year I've got thirteen thousand two hundred plus twelve thousand multiplied by one point one equals fifteen. And, and and I just I believe it or not, I wrote that all out uh, on the legal pad, long script uh, for like four pages, and just working out where I how long it would take for me to get to a million bucks. And it worked out that it was going to take me twenty one years. I went, okay, screw it, man. What else am I going to do? I'm going to just what blow my blow all my money, and then you know, 21 years later, go. Oh, excuse me, uh, I, got, I still got I still got another 21 years to go to get there, and I still got to work and all this kind of stuff. I went, oh, screw it. I'm just going to suck it up, and I'm just going to put aside this money. And and you know what? That was just a a really profound experience for me because after one month, I had 
a thousand bucks and that really hurt because I was changing my lifestyle. After six months, I had like 5,000 bucks more than I'd had in like a year, more, more than a couple of years. Anyway, after 12 months, I'd really pulled my finger out and, uh, I said to myself that any money that I had saved over $15,000, because I gave myself a stretch goal, I have the absolute discretion to piss it up against the wall however I want. I don't care. I could walk past a garbage bin and throw any extra money in the bin. I could drink it. I could smoke it. I could travel on it, whatever. Anyway, at the end of the year, I'd save $20,000. So aligned to my core value, I took out five grand. And I went backpacking around Thailand, Malaysia, Laos, Cambodia, Singapore for a month. But when I came back, I still had 15 grand in the bank and knew that I could save 20. And so that started my, oh, hang on, this is the evidence that I am doing smart choices about my money. This is the result that I can experience, that I can have savings as well as lifestyle as well as a reward. And I just lather, rinse, repeat uh, and, and grew from there. No, it's good. It's good. And it's an interesting story. And it kind of shows your way of thinking and, and how you got started. So what was your first job? Did you go to university? And, and then where did you start working after? So I studied early childhood education. So I was going to be a preschool teacher, like kindergarten cop. And then I was also going to subsidize my income with doing swimming instructing, like for learn to swim schools and, and, and stuff like that. So that was my plan from uni. And then I didn't go down that path because I didn't realize how hard it was to be a teacher, like exhausting and fingers of blame, um, you know, and responsibility and lesson plans and everything like that. And went, bugger that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, there's got to be a better way. So I, I went overseas. I actually went, worked for Sprint Canada. Uh, and a wonderful thing about Sprint Canada, uh, you know, being a foreigner in a strange land and sounding different, they thought I was hilarious and, and they sent me all over Canada training their staff. So, uh, that was fun. I, I got to see all of Canada on their coin rather than mine. Uh, but when I came back to Australia, there was, there was no jobs. There was no deregulation of the telephone market. So I didn't have anything. Uh, and I ended up just working in bars and, um, catering events and so forth. I had like four jobs just bouncing around, casual jobs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, before before I ended up getting a job like three years later, sitting in the bank as a teller, taking deposits, giving out money, all this kind of stuff, and, and meeting a financial planner all this went, hang on, a financial planner gets to help people make money, they learn about money, and they get to, you know, and people like them, like people like you because you're helping them make money as well too. So I want that job. And you get to sit on your butt all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a job for me. So uh, I, I started charting my course in financial planning. Awesome. Good for you. And then you got a couple, I know, certifications and some experience and, and you've been doing that ever since. Yeah, uh, and on, on, on that certification, look, I know I'm going to come across a bit belligerent uh, in, in saying this. But, you know, certifications are, are really just marketing. It really is just the comfort factor for, for clients to come to you that you've been, that, that you've been trained, that you've been qualified and so forth. So while they're good to have and, and, and important to have, you know, it really comes down to your relationship with your clients. It doesn't matter what business that you're in. Uh, it's your clients that pay you. Uh, you take care of your clients. And this is what I learned in, 
hospitality, take care of your clients. All of our businesses, doesn't matter what it is, we're commoditized. You know, people come to you for the experience they want to have with you because you deliver an exceptional value that they can't find elsewhere. And so that cuts across all businesses. It doesn't matter if it's financial planning or, you know, working in a restaurant and so forth. So just take care of your customers because they'll take care of you. And go and get all those awards and go and get all those, that, those credentials and so forth. That's great. That's more of a credibility thing. But they're not they're not more important than taking care of your customers. Your customers come first. No, no, no. I think I think it's great advice, and and I just want to follow up on the financial planning. And I guess we have to ask you, right? Because you are a financial planner, and and some of the millionaires that we've interviewed on the show, some of them do use a financial planner, and some of them do not. But I guess the question is, who do you think needs a financial advisor, right? Like, who is that beneficial for, and and what are the type of things that you would help them with? Okay, so financial planner. All right, let's unpack this. They're not completely different other world beings. They're not smarter than the average Joe. That generally, in my conversations with other financial planners, they're not as wealthy as their clients and they make worse financial decisions than their clients. Okay. That's in a general space. What a financial planner is and delivers the most value to a, to a client is accountability to doing the work and to you know, help with the the change of laws and legislations, uh, taxation and, and 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 client situations to uh, maximize this, maximize you know the opportunity that is about. I'll give I'll give you a perfect example, right? Uh, so I think it's called Dalbar uh, in in the states. They they run this uh, example of a person who just invests in the index and a person who is an active manager. And they look at the return over the last, I think it's 25 years. And the person who was an active manager, so they were buying and selling, buying and selling themselves, trying to pick the market and blah, blah, blah. Um, they had an average return of about two and a half percent over the last 25 years. Now, a person who just invested in the index and invested in the market and didn't do anything, they packed up, they went scuba diving off the Great Barrier Reef. They, they drank beers. They slept in. They didn't do nothing. They didn't touch their portfolio at all. They had an average return of 11.5% per year. So the the value of an advisor is to hold you accountable to not selling when there's a whole lot of market noise, to be buying more then, you know, to, to encourage you to stick to your plan of, of regular savings, to get your debts paid down. Like a gym instructor and a nutritionist is going to help you with your exercises, Right. And when you've got someone that you are paying to give you results, well, more, nine times out of ten, you're going to do the work because you've got a vested interest in it. So this is where the true value of a financial planner is. It's more in the accountability and helping you do those things to keep you on track to achieve your goals, less so than trying to pick the next hot stock um, and, and so forth. You mentioned earlier that Typically, they don't make as good of decisions as, as their clients do, or they aren't as wealthy as their clients. Why is that? Because they're egomaniacs. Because <laughs> they, they want to be that jock at the party going, you know, I know about this stock. I'm a, I'm a big cheese here. You know, I'm smarter. I'm the smartiest, smarter, smarty pants in the, in, in the room. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's interesting because, I, you know, there's, there's certain professions, you know, in the, in the United States and, and throughout the world, I think, that just kind of have those those claims and you know cpas typically are fit in that category doctors yeah. lawyers doctors. yeah 
you know, and they typically just aren't as good with money or, or maybe they just don't invest as, as much of their money that they're making and, and they end up spending more of it. But I think it's an interesting thing to discuss because, you know, Clark and I are both CPAs and, and we see that with several of our friends who are also CPAs that, that fit in that category where, you know, we should be the experts in a lot of these different things. And maybe we make, make good decisions of the business, but then we don't make good decisions in our personal or what would be considered good decisions in our personal lives. And I think it's an interesting conversation, you know? Yeah. Well, we just need to unpack our egos, you know, yeah. and, 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 make our, and make our financial choices align to our core values. I know that everyone else has got their own path and their own baggage and, and their own egos and that to deal with. But, you know, we just stick to our own unique individual core values. We do the work. And, you know, in doing that, people people have a bullshit filter, right? They know if someone's a dickhead. I know I'm speaking colorfully here. Apologies to the listeners, <laughs> right? Um, but they will filter that person out and they don't want to be, you know, put down or made to feel bad or, or, or this and that. They want encouragement. They want, they want support. They want, you know, empowerment. They, they, they want to just know that they're not going to be judged and so forth. So if you're walking the talk, if you're doing the stuff in your world and, and you're not being judgmental, then your clients are going to pick that up and they're going to come to you. And it's just the genuine authenticity because they go, well, this guy's actually trying to, girl, is, 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 is trying to do something for others, not themselves. And that's really genuine. And that in itself is a marketing approach. And it, and, but it is just who you are. And that's really cool. Yeah. So Pete, you've done super well. You've got a high net worth. You've got a great business. Where do you go from here? Do you have a net worth target you want to hit? Do you have a passive income goal? That's a really interesting question. Uh, well, first of all, we go skiing every year in Japan. So that's a, that's a must do. So we go for like a few weeks. Uh, so that's where we want to go, uh, selfishly. Uh, but, uh, we, let's see. Look, the way that we have structured our business, because we have got the right clients, because we are genuine, authentic, and our goal is really to get our clients across the line to financial independence. And when they get there, because we've been such a part of their journey and because they want to get on with their life some more and want to go skiing with us or go to Europe or, or, or wherever, they want to continue our services. So, you know, we're clocking over uh, a very good income in a business. Uh, and my wife is in the business as well, too, uh, where we have very trusted clients. We're doing the right thing. We're getting paid very well. Probably work 20 hours a week, uh, if that. So, you know, we're just going to keep on writing this and as, as, as long as we feel like doing it. And if we get sore and we want to stop, then we'll stop and we'll, we've got finances behind us to, to, to change tack. But at the moment, you know, uh, we're enjoying the relationship with our clients. We're enjoying the, the, the money. We're enjoying the, the lifestyle. So uh, lather, rinse, repeat, I guess is uh, what we're doing for the time being. Yeah, we talked a little bit before, I guess, or, or in the notes that you shared with us before recording this about accountability. And it seems like accountability, and, and I don't know if that's, you know, working with somebody or goal setting or whatever it, it may be, you, you know, that's played obviously a big part to your success both financial and I assume in your career as well. So maybe talk about that a little bit, how accountability has, has helped you grow your, your investments. Yeah. Let's, let's peel it back to, to my parents and I've got to thank them for this because when I, when you're a swimmer and any swimmer listeners out there and, and any athletes out there will know 
that uh, it is about commitment. It is about sticking to the course. It is about doing the work even when you don't want to. So I would be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, even in winter time, uh, thanks to my dad, driving to a swimming pool and jumping in some cold water and swimming laps. And I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> I don't think anyone appreciates that. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I, I did that from, uh, well, let's just say seven, uh, full time, eight years old till, um, till 18 years old. So that's 10 years of my life. And I was swimming in the morning and also in the evening. So what it actually taught me, and this is, this is the gold nugget out of that 10 years of experience that you can stand on someone's shoulders and, and look from this. Okay. So I was very good at, and then that's why I stayed at it. But what I found by the age of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 was that all of my friends that I had, that were competitive swimmers as well too, some which were much better than me dropped out. And just through the natural attrition of life and by sticking to my course, by sticking to the commitment, by having that accountability, I rose to the top. So I carried that, that mantra around, do the work, stick, stay on course, and you'll see your, your, your competition or, or your challenges dissolve in front of you as long as you stay the course. So of course I had a coach. I had my friends as well too. So I surround in that swimming environment. I had competition. I, I had accountability. I had um, encouragement and support from my fair, my parents. I had validation uh, that I was doing the good work. And and um, you know these these things all fostered my success. So I I extrapolated that out and and I was kind of rudderless. I'd say from eighteen through to twenty five, and then. I got my game back on again. I didn't know if I had the guts or, or the ability to do it, but I just said, okay, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how I feel. If I just do this work, I will achieve this goal because this is the maths. $1,000 a month, 10% return, 21 years, I'll have the money that I need. But just suck it up, girly blouse, and get on with it. The only person that is not going to make it work is myself. Uh, and, and so then you just start to, you know, that's the hard line. Then you just start to build supporting people around you to help you fail forward. Uh, and, and so that's what I do. Uh, that's why I have a, a gym coach. That's why I have a financial planner coach. Uh, that's why I have a nutritionist. That's what, that's why I have a, a spiritual guide. That's why I value very much my parents and my wife and that when they add value to me and support me because it's all about that accountability. Yeah. And I like it. And it kind of reminds me, it kind of reminds me of that quote of, of, you know, you are like the, the average of the three or five people that you spend the most time around. Right. And so part of it is just surrounding yourself around people that are going to push you and, and hold you accountable. And, and you feel like you're going to push yourself because you're hanging around them. So yeah. I think that kind of ties in. You can't be rudderless in that environment. You've got to know where you want to get to as well, too. And you, then you draw from them the characteristics that are going to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. Yeah. Otherwise, so, you're just floating around as a, oh, let's be friends. Uh, right, yeah, right. It doesn't help anyone. Yeah. Do you set goals every year? Yeah, but I've got some really crazy goals now. You know, I, I'm traveling, you know, three, four months a year. <laughs> so they're kind of my goals. 
Yeah. Um, no, but you but you can do that now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess maybe the better question is, did you set goals along the way? I always, yeah. When I first started out, actually, this is this is a, a better question. So when I first started, I had I wanted to have uh, fifty. I, I I wanted to have fifteen grand, and I could blow the rest of it. Okay. Then my next year, I wanted to have forty grand in 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 wealth, uh, and then I could blow the rest of it. And you know, the third year, I actually stepped up and I said, I want to have a hundred thousand. Don't ask me why or where what planet that I was on. Uh, and then I can blow whatever. Uh, and actually, my reward then was to give myself a pinball machine because I was young and single at that time. Uh, and uh, and at that third year, I didn't get to a hundred thousand. I got to ninety eight thousand six hundred. So, but that was after three years of starting out. You know, I ended up still buying myself a pinball machine. It was a second hand one, which was you know twelve hundred bucks. If anyone knows Fish Tales um, by Williams, they um, I bought it for twelve hundred bucks. They're probably worth $7,000 now. i still got it in my office. I love playing it all the time because it's a reminder of setting yourself a goal, working towards achieving it. Even if you don't achieve it and you get close, yeah, sometimes if it's such a massive goal, you can give yourself a reward. But it's, it's a reminder of the hard work that you put into doing it. So I, I got on that path of goals early on. But after I got to my stage of, and, you know, I, I, I planned out to be 21 years to be financially independent. But after I achieved it in 10 years' time, oh, sorry, from, from when I started, so by the time I was 35, I had achieved it, I kind of started working more on the business rather than in the business and working on myself rather than, you know, setting myself the goals. Uh, so I kind of evolved more holistically and I went inward as well too. So I let, I let go more of those material goals and uh yeah focus more on evolutionary approach and life and, and working on the business so uh, goals at that stage morphed into something more personal right but you were you were still directed right you were still thinking about kind of the path you wanted to take and where you wanted to go and, and how you were going to get there yeah, so as a human as a human being right not, not as not in the material sense because I, I i had basically ticked all those boxes from the material sense that i wanted yeah and i think even as a, as a human being and even as a person right that should be a big step for everybody along the way right it's not always just about making yeah. money and growing net worth you know it's yeah, also family and, and being who we can and, yeah. Right. So just before we go into kind of the last mistakes and advice, I just want to end with some uh, millionaire rapid fire questions here. So okay. what's what's the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? Uh, okay. In Australia, it was Levi 501s. Are they called 501s? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think. So yeah. in Australia, they were 120 bucks. And okay. that, was when I was eight, that was when I was 18. So we're going back. Holy crap. That's like 30 years, 30, no, 20, 31 years. So that was a lot of money back then. It was like two weeks' salary. <laughs> okay, m- most expensive shoes? Uh, my ski boots. <laughs> that counts. Can you How call much? those shoes? Do you that call counts. Those shoes? That's good. How much? <laughs> uh, they were like 800 bucks. Okay, most expensive car? Oh, this is embarrassing. Uh, I had an AC Cobra. Uh, if you guys know what AC Cobras are, they, uh, just, just watch Bad Boys. Okay. Um, it was it was in the the many many hundreds of thousands. And this is in uh, Australian dollars, I assume, right? Do you still have yes. it? I sold it. Oh, I know, I know. It was an ultimatum. It was an ultimatum <laughs> for me to get to Cairns. I said, "Look to my wife. I love you. 
this is this is going to be great for us. We'll we'll see if we want to retire here later on or not. But let's buy the business. She said, "Okay, you can do this, Pete, if you sell the car." <laughs> My women in our lives are so smart. They just know. They just know <laughs> how to push those buttons. It doesn't matter which guy it is, and their wives or girlfriends, and that or their mothers. They just know it. They just right. know it. so anyway. Yeah, logic, logic prevailed, and I did. I sold it. Okay. Uh, how old were you when you became a millionaire? When you hit your first million? Thirty-five. Okay. What's worth spending more money on to you? Uh, what is worth spending more money? Relationships and experiences. You know, I think that that's key. You can't take money with you. We've got to invest it in others. Invest it because you know. There's going to be a time where you're sitting on your deathbed and you've got a number of people hanging around you. You know, you want more people than not. So invest in relationships, invest in experiences, invest in time uh, with them. So that's the best. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as much as you're comfortable saying, how much do you spend a year, annual household spending? You know what? That sounds really bad that I don't know, but I'm just going to use a, a, a bracket of somewhere between 100 to 150,000. Okay. Okay, and Australian dollar, just for our listeners right now, is, yeah, is yeah. one one Australian is about 0.7 USD. So that's, that's yeah. a good question here. And just, just one for the little Aussie battlers out there. Um, you know, there was a time about 10 years ago that we used to say that it was the American peso when the Australian dollar was $1.12 to, to $1 dollar. <laughs> <laughs> just invest back in Australia. You don't, <laughs> right. don't go overseas. You'll be slashed and cut and diced with the exchange at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but that's um, all relative. It's all, the currency is all relative to where you are. Sure. Right? So sure, uh, sure. Just, just be mindful of that. Yeah. And then do you, do you have anything in the financial markets, mutual funds, stocks? Oh yeah, tons. And like, what uh, what do you do? You own more mutual funds, index funds, single stocks, or what's kind of your stock of choice or mutual fund of choice? So, so for me, I'm I'm really comfortable with the index based investments, and then having a couple of uh, active managers um, that that sit around on a on a satellite portfolio. So the core being a the core being an index based, and then satellite funds which are more active managers in the equity space. So I just stick. In, in there then you've got your business of course so you can actively manage your own business and, and when you can take take an opportunity or not and of course then you've got the real estate which is direct so um, we also have some direct shares as well too Australian based they they yield in Australia and and this is important um, for, for Australian investors that right if you have uh, Australian Fully frank dividends and they're sitting, uh, shares and they're sitting in your self-managed super funds or, or your super fund. You know, you get tax credits coming back to you. And so you end, you end up getting like, uh, 9% income returns plus capital growth, uh, which is huge. And it's only being taxed at 15% instead of like 30% or your top marginal tax rate. So, uh, for those tax purposes, we have some direct shares. Paying those fully frank dividends in our super. Sorry for that long explanation, but that's no, that's great. So, Pete, what what are some of the mistakes that you've made along the way in your journey to financial independence? There is always going to be, uh, if you're moving forward, uh, there's always going to be failures along the way uh, that you see in hindsight that you shouldn't have done. I'll start with the advice that I would give to myself if I knew what I knew now back then. 
And this is be patient, don't be greedy or overborrow, remain humble, and remember, most importantly, you matter. Like you are the most important piece of this entire machine that you're that you're using to get you from point A to point B. The things that I that I uh, have have probably well have scarred me along the way uh, would have been, you know, when you're young, dumb, and 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 full of yourself, uh, thinking that you're invincible and taking on uh, a massive amount of debt. Uh, and uh, in in the vicinity of, of millions of dollars, uh, and then uh, investing into uh, already high value assets such as equities and properties and so forth like that before the global of well, you call it the Great Recession, we call it here the the uh, global financial crisis. So back in two thousand seven, so um, or we invested in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. It really crippled us. So um, that set us back. Uh, a lot. Uh, so over, over borrowing is a, is a big red flag for us. Uh, and we wouldn't do that again. Uh, that was a big mistake. Another, another mistake, uh, was that when we grew our business, we thought that we'd buy another, a small financial planning business just to get a bit more fees and so forth. The clients weren't the right fit. They were, uh, they weren't paying us enough. There was a change of legislation. Uh, it all turned into a bit of a, yeah, a, a, a bit of an unfortunate experience. So we're now just, and this is probably good for anyone who's in business, be better, not bigger. So that again, be better, not bigger. Because when you are better, people will naturally attract, the right people will attract to you. And you don't have to take extra risk in order to get you where you want to. And you can have a better quality of life as well too. So we overextended ourselves in the in the business as well too. Um, that was a, a wrong thing to do. We should have just st- stuck with what we were good at and and was more patient. And the last is that you know, uh, appre- never sell your appreciating assets. Uh, so in order to pay off some of the debt that we had, we had to sell one of our properties, uh, which in hindsight we should have retained. Uh, since then, that property has appreciated 250%. Uh, we, we probably should have retained that property uh, and just, uh, well, not borrowed and gone into those direct investments uh, in the first place. Okay, that's it. Interesting. Pete, one last question here. Do your friends and family and peers know how wealthy you are? And- I think they, they're a bit perplexed because they know the exact dollar. Uh, and, and we don't want to divulge that to them anyway. But they see the time that they see the the amount of time that we're traveling overseas. They see that you know the lifestyle that w- that we have as well too. But we come across still quite humble uh, in in many ways. Uh, I know I'm talking a lot about myself today. It's not it's not normal. Um, I'd normally be quiet ninety percent of the time and 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 let them talk. And me only talk about 10%. So I think they're a bit perplexed about that. They think it might be a bit of old money. They think it might be a bit of how do they do it or are they really doing it? Or maybe they haven't got anything else behind them. So certainly my parents know to a, to a certain level, but outside of that, they, they kind of guess, I guess. Yeah. Have your spending habits changed drastically since, since you've become a millionaire? I actually spend less because before – I was doing stuff to impress others. Uh, this is leading up to, up to, you know, um, 
probably my early 40s. I was doing a lot still to impress others. Uh, and that might have been because of my swimming and all this kind of stuff and, and, and also being young and all that. But after that, I was just really, really like, well, why do I need to spend this kind of money? What is it going to do for me? I really just need the basics. I enjoy company with friends. I enjoy having a barbecue, uh, bringing a, a good bottle of wine and some food and just jawboning. I don't need to go out to a restaurant and spend, you know, 500 bucks and all that kind of stuff. In that way, my spending is actually reduced. Uh, probably maybe we spend a bit more on our holidays, uh, because we're doing more of them. But, um, yeah, we're not certainly going to, you know, spa retreats and anything like that. We're still just rocking and rolling in good accommodation, but, but not extravagant. We're and, just doing more of it. And, and no sports car on the horizon again yet? I'm still, that's, that's, uh, very sore question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to add. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I think, I think from that experience, it's done now. I don't see the value. And I remember this was like before I was 35, I got that car and all, and I thought, oh, oh wow. Like, so before you became a millionaire. Yeah. And, and, and so I was like, ah, oh, I don't need to prove myself anymore. Like, I, I'm happy, like, I'm happier skiing a black diamond run than jumping in my sports car and going around the block. I'd much, I'd much rather go to Japan and, and do that kind of stuff than, yeah. I just, it just, to me, it doesn't, doesn't get me, doesn't get me anymore. Just sad because <laughs> I love that car. <laughs> you'll like, you'll have to re- you'll have to rent one every now and again or something. Well, that's the alternative as well, too, right? Because I've looked at boats, and for the life of me, I just can't. I just for the travel that we do and the things that we want and 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 so forth, I I can't see the value in owning the boat. Hey, I'll just go get it. I'll go. I'll go get it, captains, and and uh, I'll go out with my mates and stuff like that. And we don't have to drive. We can drink and and uh, and and they sail the boat and and then we get off the boat and can no continue drinking without having to worry about washing up. That's right. That's yep. right. And we do that a couple of times a year and and happy days, right? Yep. Boat clubs so, great. Uh, there is a lot said for renting. Awesome, Pete, with the net worth of north of five million. Thanks for coming on the show today. You're welcome, guys. Take it easy. Thanks, Pete. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire. 